0: Hello everyone, welcome to another episode of the Christian Hunters of America podcast. We have Grady Schneider for another podcast. We were fortunate for him to come in and speak with us about all the different things you can do to up your game as far as practice archery in the offseason. We are coming to an end of all the Havelina hunts. Deer ended a couple months ago. Everybody's waited with bated breath for antelope and elk tags to be drawn and to see if you were successful this year and this is the time when there's a lull in the action and you can start either practicing a little bit more and you're not just thinking about your hunt or if you want to try new things you want a new string you want to up your poundage you want to try new fletchings you want to try a new arrow this is the time when you can try and up your game and practice with these new things. You don't want to change all the variables at once because then you wouldn't be able to diagnose when you're doing something wrong or if it's uh, a failure from an arrow or the fletching or your grip and your release or your hold points. Um, You want to try different things. You want to start shooting your fixed blades, or you want to start shooting mechanicals, you want to start shooting the broadheads instead of just field points because you had a mistake during the hunt. And this is the time in the off season that we like to call an off season because we're always thinking about hunting. This is the perfect opportunity for you to try a, a couple new things because we can never stop learning, right? We should always seek to improve. And no matter how long you've been doing archery or any sport, you can always get better. You can always be around people and learn through them and learn from a pro shop, learn from um, another hunter. And that's a perfect way for you to give back and for you to be able to share some of your experiences with someone new to the community of archery or hunting in general. So Grady's going to talk about a lot of that, um, different techniques you can use, different things that you can try. And um, he's going to talk a lot about all the things that he practices, the mental focus, and all the target panic or different things that you would experience and the training will help you when you do step out and you see that trophy bull, the trophy antelope, the trophy deer later this year. The things that you can work on will help you so that when your heart is racing and you know how to calm yourself down, you know how to breathe a little bit better to to decrease that heart rate and uh, control that target panic and you know that that arrow is going to fly straight. So we really hope you enjoy this episode. to another episode of the Christian Hunters of America podcast. We have Grady Schneider in studio today. We are going to be speaking about archery hunting and what can you do to keep practicing in between uh, the end of the season when the weather is perfect, it gets you outside, but what can we do when you go into spring and to summer in order to keep your skills up or if you want to try something new this is the time to do it Um, we're going to be speaking about 3d uh, indoor and outdoor all the events that get you out of the hot summer and you go up north and you get to camp and you get to practice ultimately where you play where you're going to be hunting hopefully so without further ado we got mikey in studio as always how are you we are here we're doing excellent great day today beautiful outside and grady how are you brother
1: Good. I am very thankful to be back in the studio with you guys, and I'm thankful I got off work a little bit early today.
2: That is a good thing.
1: (sighs) That is a good thing.
0: Always a good thing. Um, Like I said, we're going to be speaking. Grady is um, a master archer, and Mike is as well. They do a lot of competitions. Everyone knows that I prefer rifle, so you're probably going to hear them talk a lot more, or you're going to hear me ask questions uh, for everybody that is... Newer to archery, like myself, only shooting probably the last six or seven years. But um, anyway, Grady, we got done with over-the-counter deer, over-the-counter pig, all the archery, all the rifle pig hunts, everything for the most part up until next month when turkey comes around. Nothing big game species for the most part is really in the forefront of anyone's mind until end of summer when people start thinking about bears and, more importantly, when everybody starts thinking about elk. So what can people do in order to keep their skills set up and in order to keep you reinvigorated about archery and not putting it up on your wall or in your case or in your closet? What can you do right now in order to keep those skills alive and make you a better archer on this go-around when you get drawn this year? All of that is, I don't think you could have put
1: that any more broad or perfectly. (laughs) Um, So I think the most, I guess, proficient way to answer this is, let's go back to basics because the easiest way to assess a problem is from the fundamental issues or the foundation of it um we've gone through season if we were lucky enough from the Arizona Department of Game and Fish we were able to get an elk tag antelope tag all that fun stuff now we've gone through the fortunate side of our lovely state over the counter season and now we're starting to work our way into what a lot of people would generalize as the off season when yeah we've got a couple kind of sprinkled in hunts left over the spring, but really that hardcore archery time where guys are keeping their bows in the back of their truck so they can go practice after work every day. That's over. Um, let's break it down to the foundation and that's why we all do this, or at least why I do this and why I view a lot of other people do this. Let's have some fun. Um, that's the reason why I got into it was because, it's fun. It's a passion. As Ted Nugent says, it's the magical flight of the arrow. You can have such a fun time, whether it's playing a game with your buddies of, hey, Mike, I bet you couldn't hit a pop can at 70 yards.
0: Okay. It's true. I'll try it. <clears throat> Challenge accepted is what Mike yeah. would say.
1: Yeah. I mean, I know this year at Clint's well, we may do that. Yep. Um, I love it. Can't it's, wait. Having fun with it. And then also let that little demon that's been sitting on your shoulder since, we'll say July of the prior year of going into early deer season, elk season, all the other stuff into the late winter hunts. um, Let that little demon's voice get a little bit louder of, hey, let's try this. Let's try a new release. Let's try new arrows let's try a new vein combo let's try a new broadhead all of these things to where you can really let yourself just relax and dive into archery because our problem and it's I shouldn't say our but the problem I see on the side of doing this for a living is a lot of people go into it because they have one end goal I mean tonight at eleven fifty nine. Being March 6th is credit card deadline for the elk and antelope draw. Yeah, buddy. So, shameless reminder, I know this won't be out by then, but please, people, update your credit cards. Absolutely. We don't want that awkward situation. But back to what we are talking about. Um, The thing there is everyone says oh they look at instagram and facebook and their email and they say oh the draw is happening and then the draw happens and they go oh i got an elk tag woo i'm gonna go buy me a new boat or i'm gonna start planning all this stuff and i'm gonna start watching way too much youtube and all of this (laughs) other fun stuff (laughs) and this is how you do this okay let's take a step back because for me i was fortunate enough to have an elk tag in 2022 I didn't really start, like, planning the trip aspect of it until, like, two weeks before, where I was like, ooh, crap, I actually got to get there. But up until that point, I mean, I was having fun with it. I've got a tag in my pocket. That gives me, and it's a thing where you can have internal confidence without showing it externally, to where I can have that internal confidence little like happy dance going on. It's like, I've got an elk tag. I've got an elk tag. And use that as, that's the addiction. Having fun with it. Um, Coming down to the shop. I mean, I am the assistant manager at Ross Outdoors. I'm one of the technicians. I love, love, love helping people with archery. It does not always have to be selling something. And that's why we're so, I view us as so special at Ross Outdoors is I always say you can come up and you can just belly up to the bar top and hang out with us. I love it when guys come in and shoot in the range and then they come over and I'm working, doing paperwork, all the guys are in there and then they say, you know, I was thinking about shooting broadheads this weekend. What makes a broadhead fly well versus not so well? Having the conversations, go to your shops Call your shops. Your shop should be a tool. Use those tools to where, okay, I can really dive down those rabbit holes to where we can stay engaged. And then like you said, Chad, at the beginning of all this is, why don't we practice where we play? We all, at least us three here, live in the metro valley of Phoenix. It gets way too hot here in the summer. Um, I'd much rather... Run home, grab the missus, grab the dogs, hitch up the travel trailer and say, you know what, let's get out of Dodge for the weekend. I'd love to wake up in the morning and go, ooh, I need to put a sweatshirt on.
0: Absolutely.
1: Because we get that here for, like, a whopping three months. The rest of the state, which I want to live there so bad, they get to do it year-round, so we might as well go up. I mean, this last year, and it is, like, ingrained in my brain. When we went to Clint's Well, which – is a shoot that my in-laws own. Um, They put it on every year, and this last year I was sitting there, and my father-in-law and I, we wake up way too early. So I'm awake at 4 o'clock like it's a normal work day, and all of a sudden I hear this faint bugle in the meadow. I was like, all right, I'm getting my stuff on. Him and I almost walked out of the trailer at the exact same time, and we hit the ground in flip-flops and go running across because we want to see these elk. We, that's, oh, my gosh, it's there. Everyone can do that. Let's actually do it. Right. Thanks. Um. I can't remember who the singer is, but a little bit too much talk, not enough action. Mm-hmm. <coughs> I know the song, but I can't yep. think of the singer. I do not know um, singers.
2: That's not my world for sure. But.
1: <laughs> I know the song, though. Too much talk, not enough action. Yep. Let's get to it.
2: Yep. Exactly.
1: Jump on Christian Hunters. Jump on, go to the fun 3D shoots at any Usery. usury. You know what? Get on a, go on Desert Archer's website and jump on their calendar and do a fun shoot. You don't have to be afraid to compete. I love competing because I'm a naturally competitive person. I love competing in the target class because it's an accuracy competition. It's not a judging competition. It isn't a who's better at pin gapping, any of that stuff it is a peer accuracy competition use those things as your fuel to go into it and create i mean honestly what cha is all about create some fellowship out of it right exactly absolutely
0: we have lots of lots of targets and allow people to use them if if they don't have any or if they have kids and want to borrow a genesis bow or encourage people Go into the, you know, go outdoors and shoot from realistic angles and not just, you know, straight 40 yards, 45 yards. Okay, I'm going to hold it. Go put it at 33 on an incline or a decline and put it behind a couple bushes and see see how your arrow reacts going through that.
1: Oh, absolutely. Sure. And a fun one that I have never done, in all honesty. I've never done this, but I've always wanted to do this. Reinhardt has these targets that look like little triangles, Mm -hmm. where they have the 18 and 1 that looks like an octagon. Yep. I want to do, I don't know why, but I want to do a walkabout shoot. You grab it, you huck it, you shoot it, you walk up to it, you grab it, you huck it, you shoot it, you walk up to it. You create that diversity. Yep. It's active changing. It's like if we're doing a three-gun competition. You're not standing on a line. You're running around. You're doing different barricades. You're doing different angles. You're doing all this different stuff to where it's practical application. Mm -hmm. I personally have a strong dislike for creosote bushes because when we're deer hunting, deer like to stay behind them. For me, I have poor luck. I see them. I get so excited. Oh, my gosh, there's a bush I can range. I range said bush, and the deer stays there. And then... I'm an idiot and I move too quickly and the deer runs off. It just works that way. Are yep. you
0: describing you or me? I'm
1: describing Guilty. a lot of people, but <laughs> I'm putting the emphasis on myself at that point.
0: Cause that's me too. Yep. Yeah, exactly.
1: As we sit here in the studio, I can look around and go, okay, Mike is not that person because there's a lot of dead animals on his wall.
2: So that's an interesting dynamic is when it's hunting, I have that, that athlete and I can concentrate and I can execute. Now that I'm getting into the 3d world, I let the, you know, I was, I was in the shoot-off yesterday. It's like, why am I got butterflies for a shoot-off? It's stupid. It's five arrows. It's 17 yards to 42 yards. It's like, come on, really? So why is that? So let's let's dive down into this. So let's say, hmm, so as a hunter, um, you know, I, I have two bows. You look up on the wall. I have my hunting bow. I have my target bow. My hunting bow is strictly broadheads. All I do is I practice broadheads, and that bow is tuned specifically for that arrow, that broadhead. But I would say 98% of the people I know or 95% of the people, they have one bow. They shoot field tips sporadically throughout the year. And right before the hunt season, the week before, they screw on some broadheads and they're ready to go hunting. So break that down of the importance of having one bow. Basically having two different setups. One's a hunting setup. One's a target bow that you're basically practicing on. And then why sometimes we have a lot of misses. We have people talk. I mean, a lot of people. It was a chip shot, and I hit the, the deer, the elk, and it ran away, and I never found it. It just vanished. I followed the blood trail, and it vanished, or or I just I shot right over it, or I, I missed it. You so guys both are being really good today at throwing out super broad stuff. Yep, I'm not done. I'm not done. So <laughs> He's going to make it more broad. <laughs> exactly. Oh so, so, for instance, broadheads. So, yes. hunting season's coming. A lot of people are guilty. They're practicing. They're screwing tips. They throw on a broadhead and they're expecting that broadhead to shoot exactly where that field tip does to, let's say, 80 yards, 60 yards. And so what are the different characteristics of that arrow and your shooting going from a broadhead from a fixed type to an expandable or even the hybrids on those? Because mm-hmm. everybody loves their broadhead, right, in, wrong, different, whatever. We all have our favorites. So what are some things as a hunter that they should be doing as it relates to dialing in that broadhead?
1: Okay, well, I'm glad you necked down the question yep. for me, mm-hmm. Chet. Take notes. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So
0: let me rewind real quick on the ten questions he asked.
1: Yeah, exactly. Um, that is a question, and all the guys at the shop, and all the guys at the shop throughout really America, um, can attest to of uh, someone will show up a couple weeks before season. Hey, I want. A broadhead that flies just like my field point and I want a huge cut but I don't want a mechanical and I want it to be super quiet but also super durable and yada 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 um all of those things don't mesh together that's not how physics and aerodynamic profiles work um to start with it yes throughout the year of course everyone's shooting field points it's easier to get out of a target they're much cheaper I mean they're 59 cents a piece they aren't 15 dollars a piece when we're shooting with a field point and everyone listening and us all sitting here in the studio can think about it, a field point has a very, very small profile that is similar or exactly the same to the outer diameter and profile of the arrow that we're shooting. Um, Now, once we go to a broadhead, let's think about a fixed broadhead. I know one I can think of off top of my head is a G5 Montec. Everyone's seen those. They're broadheads, that have been around longer, but I'm just going to use that as an example. So now, if you imagine the arrow sticking in the air, the ferrule length, so the length of that point, has increased, we'll say, two and a half times. So it's gotten much longer. And now the surface area has gotten much, much greater of it. Um, that is where, that is a, we'll say, a stereotypical fixed aerodynamic profile. Now let's take a... Rage Broadhead. Or Rage Hypodermic, Everyone's seen those. We get asked for them all the time. Now we have an m- even longer feral length. But we have a very similar profile to the field point in the sense of the blades protruding from the ferrule. Um, and that's where you see a lot of guys shine towards that because they're like, oh, they just fly amazing. Okay, well, yes. But then we have to dive deeper down the rabbit hole of material, construction, tolerances, all that fun stuff. When we go into that, and then, like Mike said, there's a hybrid. It's both of those mixed together. When we're shooting those, and I'm sure all of us have heard this, everyone comes in after season and is like, I shot and it looked like someone threw a knuckleball and I don't know what happened, and my veins must have been chipped or something like that. Um, Or veins must have been worn or whatever. Okay. No. That's not how profiles work. Um, More than likely is your bow was out of tune, or we had not shot the broadheads before season, and we had not done what's called a broadhead tune. So what a broadhead tune is is, in my opinion, the difference between success and extreme frustration or sadness, depending upon how many years you've waited. Arizona, we wait way too long. Um, when we're looking at that, is basically marrying up the arrow flight pattern of a field point and a broadhead. So with minute, in unison movements of the rest and sight, we can get it to where the broadhead and field point will have the same point of impact to a certain distance together. Now, once we start getting into further distance, like like Mike said, 80 yards, realistically, once we hit 70, I'm going to tell everyone, it's very, very, very difficult to get a broadhead to hit the exact same impact point past 70 yards there are some that do it better than others um like evolution outdoors dale yep i mean one of the best people i've ever met on the earth local guy he makes the uh jekyll and hyde broadheads absolutely love them i have had them fly very well out to 90 and 100 for me
0: yep that's all we shoot
1: yeah i mean exactly I'm team jackal. I don't know about the
2: rest of you guys, but it just works. Yep, I'm a hide. There you go. And I'm looking at one, two, three. Yeah, there's six hides right there smiling at you. Yeah, and I <laughs> I killed my bull with
1: a uh, hide. Yep. And then I've seen multiple animals get shot with jackals, hides, everything. Yep, exactly. Um, we only hear good things about them, but back to my original train of thought before I saw a squirrel. Yep. Um, the...
0: The fact to of the 80 80 matter 90.
1: is, when we're shooting, you've created drag on the front end of your arrow. We've increased that aerodynamic profile from a field point to a broadhead. There's more surface area. It's spinning at a different rate of speed. Now we have created drag. Generally, a lot of people will come into the shop and they go, my broadheads fly great out to 60, and then all of a sudden, they hit lower and lower and lower and lower. My bow's out of tune. No you, my friend, have now made a perfect observation of what your broadheads will do in a real life scenario mm-hmm. because you've done the preparation, you've done the practice. I like using poster board, that's my preference because it's very similar to patterning a shotgun. I can get a target and what Walmart a poster board might cost you like 75 cents, exactly. Put a dot on it. Mm-hmm. And go out because, for me, I like being able to really focus on making good shots. I don't want to have to focus on remembering where the arrows hit. I like poking holes in that poster board because yeah. it tells me exactly where they hit. Um, I can focus more on what's important. So do that with field points, broadheads, all that. Even a piece of cardboard. You can do the same thing. Yep. Use that during your off-season and say, okay, hey, this is the broadhead I shot with, and set weekly goals. Like, I set weekly goals all the time. I'm doing it right now when we're setting up the new shop, is I got a list on my phone of, like, 10 things I want to get done this week. Set a weekly archery goal. Hey, this week I want to shoot 10 arrows a day, um, or I want to shoot 20 arrows a day, and I want at least four days for me to be shooting broadheads. And, yeah, set aside broadheads. Don't start buying a ton of broadheads because it's ridiculously expensive. Buy new ones if you want to try new ones. But don't start buying a bunch of broadheads because $40 a pack gets expensive quickly and you might have to take out a second mortgage. It's not fun.
0: Right.
2: Exactly. So, for instance, when hunting season comes with that hunting bow, we have a local park down here that's got a a nice archery range. So Mm -hmm. I always start with five shots. I only shoot one head at a time, and I walk the 20 yards back and forth. So I figure if I'm hunting, I get one shot. Mm-hmm. So I focus on that shot, the release, and I shoot five at 20 yards. Once I'm within usually like a two-and-a-half, three-inch circle max with my broadhead, then I feel like I can shoot very accurately with the broadhead at 80 yards. So then I immediately jump over to 80 yards, and I'll shoot five at 80 yards. Then I'll systematically work backwards. So do you want to talk about? What is so a good that sequence? that is perfect. So, yeah, so you want to talk about sequence in which, how you as you're practicing and you're building that confidence, and talk about once that bow is tuned and they pick the broadhead that's shooting good for their bow, what is a good sequence in order to do so? Yeah, so that is perfect, what you just said. That
1: is in the archery training world. That's called sandwich training. So starting close, going far and testing that confidence level, testing your equipment, testing yourself, but then ending back close. Yep. Um, for me with broadheads, I like shooting 20. I will shoot generally what I want to call my apex point. So for me, my draw length and poundage, that's at about 60 yards because that's when, okay, I'm basically out of my fixed pins at that point. Um, That's when I'm really going to start seeing that sight tape if we're using an adjustable sight or the pin gap on a fixed pin sight really start spacing out. And past those points, for me, I almost feel comfortable shooting out further because I realize the fact that I can break a perfect shot as soon as that arrow comes off that string. I have no control. Yep. As long as I've done my due diligence, whether it's on... The moment of truth on a bull elk, or we've got a monster coos deer in August. Yep. I've done my due diligence in the off season because now, when I break that shot, the environment controls it. Exactly. That's the main thing. And yes, back to the original part of it is go from close, far, close. I yep. like ending yep. at twenty yards yep.
0: because <clears throat> you leave with that confidence and on a high note. Yeah, that is. We do that in firearms all the time. I don't want to
1: go close, far. I stink. Yep. I'm going to tuck my tail and walk home. I would like to go close, far, close. And, okay, it was a little rough at the far distance today, but I still know how to shoot a bow because I could still hit the dot. Yep. At 20, okay, take a deep breath, come back reinvigorated, and realize it's okay because people are too hard on themselves. Exactly. In
2: all aspects of life, they are. Sure.
1: And archery is your one aspect of life where you get to get away,
2: use That's it, and enjoy it, and use that as part of your addiction. Absolutely. So, in here, so I kind of learned that. So, in the 3D world, we're trying to shoot dimes. So, I have about eight yards, so I stand at my table to one end, and I got my target right here, and I shot last night 10 arrows, and I'm basically shooting a dime. Mm-hmm. And. What I've been learning is now it's about my form and release and concentrating because it seems like when I get outside in the elements, I want to jerk or I don't want to follow through, and it's so easy for our form to change or just our position point, and that's where my frustration comes because I can jump back in here and shoot at eight yards, you know, put the same arrow in the you know ten times, then I walk out in the backyard and shoot thirty yards, I'm like how am I four inches off, you know? Mm-hmm. So you want to talk about you know from shooting close. To extend it, and why sometimes where that that pin gap may grow larger and larger. What we're shooting, so we're here. I can shoot basically a quarter, but I get to thirty yards. Same form, same thing. Everything's exactly the same. Now I'm shooting a, a grapefruit. Why? Why would? Why does that stuff happen when you're shooting consistently, and all of a sudden your mind goes, and all of a sudden you get on that that rabbit hole train of second guessing everything. So it's exactly what you said in there. It's the it's a
1: four letter word, and it frustrates everyone your mind. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, as we go out in distance, physiological wise, it's going to be more difficult to hold steady sub Subcon- I should say consciously it's going to be more difficult to hold steady. Subconsciously you're doing the same thing. But when I draw back at 50 and my pin sits, it's doing the same exact float it did at eight yards. In the backyard. But my conscious mind goes... Hold it in the middle. Hold it in the middle. Hold it in the middle. Oh my gosh. What happened? Where did I hit? Uh-oh. The problem is, is... I... I see it a lot. When you go out... People rely too much on conscious... And not enough on subconscious. Um, conscious thought is one of the hardest things to control ever. Subconscious thought is one of the easiest things. How many times have you driven somewhere and been like, how the heck did I get here? Mm -hmm. I don't remember much of that.
0: More in my 20s than now. Well, that (laughs) is
1: true. Exactly. I won't attest to how much I do that. But the hard part was like, you go through and say... I like equating for me, and it's something that I really try to dumb down because it helps my brain, and I wish more people would do it. I view hunting as a hobby and a passion, and now I've kind of turned it into a career, and I find so much joy in it. Yep. When I go to a tournament, it's the same thing. I try using... I. Because that nervousness of when a bull elk is screaming, I could draw back and put my pin on him and think, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, he's so big. He's screaming. Oh, he's bugling. Oh, there's cows to my right. Wait, I'm not looking through my peep. Uh Uh-oh, am I using the right pin? Boom. But instead, if I draw back and all I see is my pin hit what I want, I let it sit there. I appreciate the pin movement because I'm letting the bow do what it wants to do and then I'm slowly going through my shot process of anchor, peep alignment, pin on target, contact with trigger, apply pressure to trigger so slow that I don't think it's even going to go off and then, oh my gosh, it went. Oh, holy mackerel. I hit him. Taking... That conscious, it's an open and closed loop mindset. Of You have to take that conscious thought that's attacking you and overwhelming you because, I mean, let's be real here. I'm not a cold-blooded killer. <clears throat> if there's an elk standing at 35 yards screaming his head off, yep. my heart rate is instantly going to go up to probably 140. I'm going to lose some fine motor skills and I'm going to lose some situational awareness. Absolutely. Especially if it's been seven days and we haven't seen anything or it's been seven days and the bull I've been chasing is finally in front of me.
0: The tunnel vision kicks in.
1: Exactly. I don't want the horse blinders to come on and all of a sudden go, and then wait, that crack didn't sound like a rib. Oh, it's because I shot the pine tree he was standing next to. Yep. It's taking that subconscious thought and really applying it, but that subconscious comes from us feeding the addiction in the off-season because you've created Mm -hmm. something of, okay, basically you've created a daily task that's repeatable. Mm -hmm. In my world, if someone says, hey, I need a peep twisted, sweet. If someone says, hey, Mike, I need you to fix this outlet, you'd be like, Come on, dude. Yeah, blindfolded. Exactly. Walk up to Chet, say, hey, read me my Mirandas. <laughs> Chet would do exactly that and laugh and be like, all right. Yep. Yep. It's easy. Yep. But all of it comes back to that off-season part yep. of where we have to feed that addiction. But when we go out and you go to the Clint's well Shooter, you go to the 3D80, or you go to all these shoots... Don't walk up to the target and keep looking behind you when you draw your bow back and keep talking to your buddy. There's a momentary pause where, for me, I won't talk to anybody. I will step up to that line because I want that moment of perfect practice. It's three seconds.
0: Yep. Your natural point of aim.
1: Exactly. I'm going to draw back. I'm going to put my pin on after I range it because I don't judge yardage. Like I said, not a good thing if I judge yardage. Draw back, put the pin on, and I'm going to break a good shot and be like, okay, I did the best I can do. And then I'll turn around and be like, yes, traffic was horrible. You use that practice. Have fun with it. Because you can think like at the Clint's Well shoot, you walk up there, there's four courses normally. There's a long shot, there's the smoker targets, there's all that stuff. You go out, but When there's the smoker target, don't just view it as, Mm -hmm. hey, it's fun because I could get put in for a stand release as a raffle. Okay, cool. No, but when there's a javelina tucked behind a little bit of grass, be like, hey, that happened. Absolutely. Now, the grass up there might be green compared to where it's down here. It's dead. Definitely. Uh, But go to the long shot. I shot my elk at a very far distance this last year. You go to that long shot and say the elk stuck out at 105, 106. Yes, that may be much further than a lot of people are comfortable shooting at animals. But instead of just lobbing arrows for the raffle ticket, say, you know what? I'm going to invest $25 into my preparation.
0: Well, you're talking about a lot of the subconscious and conscious. And um, over the years, I know on a lot of different aspects, whether it be competition shooting, competition, any type of sports, that sports psychology that your body can't go and do what it wants to do if your mind hasn't already been there. Mm-hmm. If you don't walk it through – and put yourself, close your eyes, see as a you know, as an archer, I see that 10, I see that 12. I see it on that little gummy bear at 37 yards. And you visualize and you see the arrow hitting that spot. I did it playing sports and baseball. You get up to the plate, and you visualize, you know, your bat making contact with that ball. You visualize a long-distance rifle shot when you get down there and you go through the same motions, your cheek weld versus an anchor on archery or Mm -hmm. um, all those different little intricacies that you do the combat breathing to slow your heart rate when you see an animal. But if you don't practice and you don't put yourself in those situations, like you said, then when it does come to go time, you're going to fail.
1: No, absolutely, and it's something where we look at, like you were saying, like say you go into a a tactical situation or whatever. I'm not a law enforcement officer. I've never served in the military. I can't attest to any of that. There's a lot of worse situations we could be in stress-wise. You could have an ill family member. You could have one of those situations that military law enforcement, fire, EMS, any of those horrible situations. We're having fun. And I said this at this last shoot, um, this last weekend that we did, there was a deer, 54 yards, and the group of guys were sitting there, it was on the second day, so all the highest scoring guys are in the same group, because you're peer grouped, and we're all competing against each other because we want that top spot. And I took a step back, because we're in between targets now, and I looked at one of the guys, who's arguably one of the best shooters in the state, and... I go, wouldn't you love it if in a hunting scenario there was a mule deer at 54 yards just feeding? Exactly. Why in the world are we so worried? You're asking me, a IBO, which is one of the scoring organizations, an IBO 12 ring is about the size of a soda, the bottom of a soda can. If you said, hey, can you hit that on a deer at 45? I'd be like, oh, yeah. I'd bet quite a bit of money, and I don't have quite a bit of money to bet. Yep. But then when you say, okay, Grady, it's for a piece of plywood at this tournament. Yep. I'm like, oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh. That's what we have to break. And that's the mental preparation and all of it. Yep. Am I getting to practice right now as much as I want to? No. Life gets in the way. That's life. So when we step up to that tournament line, or when we step up to that buck in December when we're just doing a cannonball run to go hunting because... I get one day this weekend. Right. When that moment pops up, capitalize. Yep, That's when, okay, I'm going closed loop. I'm focusing on what my subconscious has prepared me with in the off season because <coughs> I've gone to the 3D shoots. I've spent the days at the range. I bribed my w- wife with a nice dinner because she let me skip whatever and I got to go to the range with my friends. All of those things – come down to that one moment, and when you're able to go close loop, that moment will happen, and then at the end of it, you go, oh, my gosh, how'd that happen?
0: And I know this is counter to what we said on the spring and the summer, but on those shoots, if you are up north and it is better weather than when we're down here and you want to practice like you play and get that heart rate up, if you if it doesn't do it for you in the competition and you're just going out there just for the fun shoots and there's plenty of fun shoots – nothing on the line you're there with family maybe do a sprint before you get to the line absolutely maybe do a couple push-ups and a couple jumping jacks get that heart rate up and then it's going to be a lot more lifelike if you you know if you guys are out there with just your buds and you are you know putting a dollar a shot or you know whatever whatever you want to bet that adds to it a little bit, the, the little competition. If you haven't entered, you know, the the paying competitions where you're going for uh, a plaque or a buckle Absolutely. or prize money. But if you just more accurate testing of that is get your heart rate up in whatever fashion is necessary and then go do the shoot. And you could still range, do that, but you're going to be doing all that with a little huffing and puffing and more, more of us – From down here in Phoenix, huff and puff at that higher elevation already.
1: Yeah, I don't feel that good at 7,000 feet ever. (laughs) (laughs) And it, absolutely, you are 100% correct. And the hard part about that is getting people to do it.
0: Right. It's not fun, always.
1: The one thing that I see is now we're getting double prepared. It's the old mindset of two is one, one is none.
0: I'm all about that mindset.
1: Exactly. Why wouldn't I? Because when you're up in the woods and everything, more than likely, you've already sighted your bow in. Now, you may be taking up a new bow. You may be sighting in, having fun. Do that, absolutely. Would I be doing jumping jacks and push-ups and crunches and all that at that time? No, because I'd be focusing on the consistency of it. Correct. But if we were saying, okay, hey, I want to shoot 50 yards. What I'm going to do is I'm going to set my bow down. And I'm going to run 50 yards in the other direction, run back, I'm going to do a burpee, I'm going to get my bow, range, go. But I'm going to be wearing my bino harness, I'm going to be using the kit. It's subconscious. Yep. It has to be, and I know I'm beating that word to death. It has to become muscle memory. It has to. I know for me. On my marsupial binal harness, if I stick my right thumb underneath the flap and just peel forward, I don't have to fish for the tab on top of it. I know that I do the same thing with my rangefinder pouch. I know that I don't have to get my rangefinder back in the pouch. I just drop it because I have a dummy cord on it. <clears throat> All of those things, I know that I can keep staring. It's something that I personally...
0: And you're staring at the target the whole time and not taking your eyes off. Exactly,
1: of and that's yep. exactly where I was going is... With deer, I feel like it's so much more important than elk. Keeping your eyes on the target because those little suckers like to disappear.
0: <laughs>
1: and it's, it's not a horse walking around the woods. I mean, it's a small creature, and they can duck behind anything, and then all of a sudden, a doe could pop up. I like knowing that I can dial my sight and just move my eyes really quick to make sure I'm on the right yardage number. Yep. Then okay, and turn my bow and do all this other whiz-bang stuff. Now, guys who are shooting fixed pin sights, a lot of guys draw back and they waste a bunch of time because I had to remember what pin it was. Okay, that should have happened months ago. Yep. Say so you're shooting a seven-pin sight. A lot of people still do it. There's nothing wrong with that because it is the definition of simple stupid. Like, go. Draw back pins you got to pick a starting point. Are we starting at 30 or are we starting at 90? Which pin are we starting with? Because there's no way I'm going to just draw back and put pins on and say, cool, I'm going to draw and I'm going to pick my starting point. For me, if I'm using a fixed pin sight, I like starting at the bottom and working my way down just because in Arizona we tend to have to shoot a little bit further. I don't like working up because of gravity. I feel like I'm fighting myself to get the pin up. But if we draw back and I put the bottom pin on, and go down, it seems a little bit more practical.
0: Yep. With it's a good Good tip.
1: We're going in of practice that stuff. Okay, I have to have a process when I draw back. And is there a better place to do it than camping? Nope. No. Because the best part about it is I can set my bow up against a tree where it naturally belongs, walk back over, grill a hot dog, watch the dog run around enjoy family, and then say, you know what? My boss isn't here. I'm going to do it again.
0: (laughs) Yep, exactly.
1: You get to hear the little... Your boss
0: might be there, though.
1: Well, my boss might be there, but Josiah's pretty cool. The best part about that is he lets us play once we've done our work. That's a motto is you work first, you play second. And that's something that our company is very blessed about is at the end of the day, say a new bow comes out, yeah, he'll let the guys, okay, you want to go shoot it? Okay, it's 5.30, go try it. Like, we're very blessed in that aspect. Yep. But yes, I always have to, if Josiah's at the shoots, <laughs> sometimes we have to be a little more on our behavior. Yep. But it's, all of that, is, it all comes back to what we started talking about, is I want everyone this year, 2023, the last couple years on this planet have been like a snow globe, just shaking up, crazy economy health everything yep instead of pouring fuel on the fire of just worrying and fears fear stress any of that I want you to kick over a five gallon of gasoline on the fire of archery passion family faith all of these things that make you a better person because we have no control over the rest. And that's something I myself have to work on every day because, yeah, when I wake up in the middle of the night because I'm thirsty, my brain goes, okay, I have to do this and this and this. And I wonder what happened with this. I really wish I was like, I really want to try a four-fletch on my arrows. (laughs) I wonder if my camping spot for this shoot's going to be available. Huh. Sweet. Make it easy.
0: Right. Yep. Less fear, more fun.
1: Exactly. <coughs> because the good Lord put us on this planet. He knows all. We do not. Put us on this planet for a reason. Let's take advantage of it. And what did I say 15 minutes ago? Let's make a fellowship out of it. Yep. You can go absolutely and have fun. It's one of the most fun things for me is at the Clinswell shoot on awards day, Sunday. Everyone's getting their awards for the tournament, but all the raffles are being drawn. And a big emphasis at that shoot is the kids. Yep. I don't know if you guys remember last year, but you look there and there's bikes and skateboards. There's everything. And all of a sudden there's this huge celebration of the next generation. Let's bring that up. Why don't, Hey, I want to up my addiction in archery too. When I see the CHA seminar, hey, I'm gonna go to it, but I'm gonna see it. Are you guys doing like a mentorship archery day? Or are you guys doing anything? Like, get involved with the community. Right. Because that's how I meant you guys. You can have a blast with it. Go to your local shop. Get a part-time job at your local shop. Like I got people ask me all the time: come in, talk. Use that to really build. And make yourself the archer and hunter you want to be this year. Because Lord knows I want to be better.
0: Yeah. Nobody's perfect in, in any aspect. And there's always something to learn. Even if you've been shooting for 30 or 40 years, there's always something to improve on.
2: Yeah.
1: And it's never too late to shoot an arrow. Yep. I hadn't shot my bow for like a two months, I think, before this last tournament. And that's the first leg of the state championship. I was fortunate enough to shoot well in it. But I said that morning, like, hey, I probably should shoot a couple of arrows to warm up. Probably. Because I'm going to make myself look like a fool. <laughs> it's never too late. Because right now, March 6th, I have to keep reminding myself because I'm horrible with dates. Um, We can say, okay, it's too late. I've already missed the winter. That's the big thing everyone in the Valley says. The winter. The winter. Uh, yeah, it's nice here. We had a winter finally this it, year. It, finally. We I did. know. <laughs> At the usury shoot a couple of weeks ago, we got hailed on. Yep. That was special. It
2: was incredible.
1: Um, But, okay, like, take a drive up north. 45 minutes. Go to Four Peaks. Four Peaks still has snow on it right now. They definitely do. Yep. Go up to Four Peaks. Okay, cool. Like. You might be able to shoot your bow a little bit more, might be able to shoot your rifle as long as like the timing of everything. Legality wise, mm-hmm. fire bans, all that fun stuff. Permit it. Shoot firearms. Um, Again, like, I'll be advocate for it. Safe backstop. Make sure you know, you know your surroundings, all that fun stuff. Same with archery. Always. Yep. But you might learn another couple things. You might learn how to four by four in your truck a little bit better. <laughs> you might learn that you, uh,
0: all skill sets can piggyback off of each exactly. other. Exactly.
1: You might learn that you didn't have the <clears throat> departure angle that you thought you had on your tundra. My back bumper says that. <laughs> yep. There, you. All of these things come together. And it's really... Archery doesn't have to just be archery. It can be being an outdoorsman. I love fishing. Now, does fishing love me as much? No. But... What makes me feel better about fishing is in the middle of the day, I can go shoot my boat. Because I know I'm at least halfway decent at that.
0: I like something on, um, with red dots becoming more popular, they've been very popular on ARs and and modern sporting rifle platforms. Uh They're getting become a lot more popular on pistols and handguns. And a mantra that I use and have been taught and teach others is float the dot, shoot the shot and you're talking about, you know, that natural point of aim when you're pointing in on a pin on your animal, you you don't have time necessarily when that elk or when that deer is going by. In a perfect world, you can slow your heart rate down and have that perfect shot with everything, and, and hopefully you do. But if you shoot and you practice these things that we've been saying during – the off-season, and you experiment with a couple different variables, not changing a whole bunch of things all at once, change a couple things, then the floating of the pin, and when it hits in those vital area, then hit that release. It's the same as like with a handgun. When you move back farther, you do get to see it bounce around. You're going to see it exaggerated and... It's the same as when we move back. You're seeing that movement in your arm. One because you're probably holding it longer, because you think you got to wait until you have the the best optimal uh, steadiness. But you're not going to have that, and it doesn't. It, it's more intuitive and more natural at an eight yard or a ten yard shot versus a fifty yard shot or a hundred yard long shot on an elk or a sasquatch, or you know, at a three D shoot. Versus you're sitting there, you know, with a rifle. If you're shooting a rifle and you're now just getting into archery, use some of the same techniques of the breathing of um, the, you know, trigger press and whatnot. You can apply a few things from the firearms world over into archery and vice versa.
1: Absolutely. 110%. Like, that would be one, like what you just said, that (coughs) 90-second chunk... That encompasses the firearm side of it perfectly. All of that melds perfectly into archery. Because, um, I'll say this, and I'm probably going to get a smile from Chet. (laughs) Everyone, most everyone, has shot a Glock. Everyone knows that eighth inch of trigger travel before you hit the pressure wall, and then you apply pressure. As slow as time is, and bam, the shot breaks. You do the same thing with an archery trigger. Right. Now, that's why you don't just settle on the release from 1980. Don't settle on the trigger that's a hair trigger because a lot of people think that's what's making them accurate. That's a mechanical fix to a mental problem. Instead, I want you to get a trigger where you apply pressure the same you would on a handgun. Grab it. Apply pressure as slowly as the cadence in your head head says. Pressure, 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 boom. That's how yep. I manipulate an index re- release because I can't shoot a handheld release right now because I messed up my arm this last year. I draw back. I anchor. I hook my finger over that trigger. I set my triggers with no travel and extremely heavy. And when I say extremely heavy, it's, I think, seven and a half pounds to well, get that that's thing
2: That's heavy. Off. It's crazy.
1: I want to be able to grab it because the wind. We tend to shoot in little cuts, valleys. The wind tends to suck. Also, I have a, I have a bad habit, or I shouldn't say bad habit, I guess bad blood flow. My, I lose feeling in my fingers. Like it's probably sixty-five degrees in here right now. I can't really feel my hands. Mm-hmm. I lose feeling in my fingers very quickly. Now imagine when it's thirty degrees and it's January and you're trying to shoot a javelina. I like being able to just grab the trigger. And just relax into that shot and really just slowly start applying pressure.
0: Smooth, clean, trigger
1: press. Exactly. And you bring that same thing into archery. Now, that, you saying smooth, clean, trigger press, that's a trick right there. If I'm worried about aiming, I have no control over that. Let the dot float. Let that pin spaz out over the target. It's doing the same exact spaz it did at eight yards in Mike's garage. Yep. Mm -hmm. Now, even though it's spazzing because the size of our target is smaller, technically, the size of the target really hasn't changed much, but our ocular perception of the target has changed. Now, I've drawn back. I've put my pin on. I appreciate the pin float. If I'm having a problem... With my mind consciously going to pin float, why wouldn't I let my mind consciously go to pressure, 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 create that cadence because when you practice that cadence in the off season, why we're talking about all of this? I did that on my elk this year. I drew back, I hooked, he took a step and I made a noise. Duh, Everyone has their own. Mm-hmm. Mine tends to sound a little bit more Sasquatchy sometimes depending upon <laughs> how winded I am. Yep. Um, also depends how mouse sometimes sounds like a squeak. Sure. But you draw back, and all I'm thinking is squeeze, squeeze, squeeze. My mind isn't, oh, my gosh, he's far. Is it windy? Did I have breakfast? Is he going to run? Am I going to kill him? No. My pin was on him. It was spazzing. Like I said, it was a far shot. I mean, I was going from shoulder to hip was my pin movement. That can just say how far it was. And I'm squeezing. Squeeze, 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 squeeze. Boom. Follow through. I watch the mythical flight of the arrow. Boom. And then he starts running off and I go, whoa. Did that work? Did it. And I see him standing there and go, that worked. There's an arrow in the ground and it's not in him anymore. Oh, snap. That's the moment where your mind goes Out of subconscious, into conscious, and you start doing the happy dance. Yep. Now, don't do the happy dance and run away. Do the happy dance and observe. That's part of the practicing.
0: Part of the follow-through.
1: Exactly. Part of the follow-through isn't run after the animal. Part of the follow-through for me is stand still and survey the playing
2: field, if you will. Don't say a word. Just freeze. It's
1: stop. All of that is preparation. Watching the flight of the arrow, I can tell you how my arrows fly and almost how my bow is tuned every shot. I can tell if the wind hit it. I can tell if I jerked it because I'm staring the entire time at my target and I can see that arrow flying.
0: That's important, too, on, on your aiming points. Absolutely. I'm still, like, the, I'm
1: shooting laser beams. for Target-focused. Yeah, for you Star Wars mm. fans out there, I am shooting laser beams.
0: <laughs> through... <laughs> Hopefully that. you hit better than a stormtrooper.
1: Exactly. I gotta have some fun,
2: man. I gotta let the <laughs> exactly. inner nerd out every now and again. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um so that's a great point. So talk about follow through where a lot of us are guilty of dropping our arm right after we hit the trigger.
1: Talk so, about
2: follow through. Follow through could best be practiced
1: without a bow. If everyone right now can subconsciously shut their eyes, they put their we'll use a right handed shooter. As an example, you put your right knuckle behind your earlobe. You can imagine the feeling of the tip of your nose, corner of your mouth being perfectly crossed by your string. Your front arm is bent at a, probably a three-degree angle. You have a nice, relaxed front grip. My pin is on a bull elk at 90 yards, and I'm relaxing tension into the back wall of the bow. I'm not expanding into the back wall of the bow because you can't do that. There's draw stops that stop you. If you pull, expand into that back wall, your pin is naturally going to do what's called quiver. It's going to start going right and left really bad because the tension you've built up in that bow has to go somewhere. So it's going to start moving the bow right and left. Generally, that freaks people out, and then they hammer the trigger. The follow-through is you start evenly squeezing everything, start relaxing into that back wall while keeping that index finger rigid or keeping that thumb rigid if we're working on a thumb button. You start keeping even tension as you build pressure on that release through squeeze 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 boom everything goes and it's almost like i cut a string in between the front and back hand and everything comes back and that's where you see the time honored saying of squeeze your shoulder blades together everyone tries doing that bef- to do that before the bow goes off it doesn't work that way i wish it did it would be much easier to achieve But drawing back, getting here, and it's almost like if I had a piece of paracord and I'm pulling into it and then someone just walked over and snipped it with a pair of scissors and then you, boom, and you feel that natural path. That natural path may be different archer to archer. That's why I don't like cookie-cutter processes. Some people may have a shoulder impingement. They may not be able to go straight back. They may have to go down and back. That's the way it goes. For me, I can't go up. just doesn't work with my shoulders for some reason. I tend to go down and back. Um, some people will put enough tension with their front hand that they end up almost throwing their knuckles at the target. Different things happen, but that's the follow-through. The follow-through isn't drawback, pin on, shoot, shut my eyes, and then move my head. It's not bad. It isn't, oh my gosh, did I hit it? It's, that's why I like shooting bright-colored veins. <clears throat> Shameless plug, we have lots of Ross Outdoors branded veins. They're all AAE, and they're all very bright colors.
2: Mine are orange. Exactly.
1: I've got turquoise to yep. appeal to my sides. It's very pretty. Yep. Um, we've got all the different colors. Find something here I picks up. Yep. I choose turquoise because, for me, I can find it on the ground in desert environments very That's easy. That's key. Um, I... Honestly, like, if someone comes into me and goes, hey, can I get, like, one of a bunch of different vein colors because I'm going to go throw them on the ground in my backyard. Or would you mind if I grab a couple different ones and I go, like, step in the side lot and throw them on the rocks? No, go for it. Cool. Like, yep. why? Yeah. Because I want to see what sticks out better. Yep. Thank you.
2: Yep, exactly.
1: That's why That's I a shoot great turquoise. idea. Is yep. I can catch that turquoise flying really well. I like shooting white knocks because I can see that little golf ball flying. I learned the super bright color veins from guys at the shop. I mean, Josiah used to shoot um, pink and purple veins. Dave shot pink and white forever. Ross shoots yellow and orange. I know this because they make me fletch their arrows. Yep.
2: But
1: (laughs) everyone shoots these super bright colors. I used to shoot three white. I shot three white until I tried finding my arrow. Middle of the day, I had a hard time finding solid white veins. Yep. For me now I shoot the turquoise or I'll shoot pink. I try to pick colors that don't ever occur in nature.
0: Yeah, I was just gonna Smart. say
1: that. Yep. Now it's really unfortunate that vein companies or that factory fletch companies do red, orange, green, and yellow. Yeah. That doesn't do you too well. Exactly. Most of the time. Finding those things that I I would almost worry less about finding the arrow after the shot. As I would being able to watch it to the target. Because watching it to the target is more crucial to the shot than finding it. Exactly. Finding it is more evident of like a person's patience and determination. I can grid search for an hour and kick my feet around and whatever and find it. Um, But that seems to be a little bit more important. I like seeing stuff be able to fly, especially in a tournament setting. I really like that turquoise because when I shoot that deer, especially with our class going out to 55 yards this year, I can go thunk and I can watch that arrow fly and I know where I hit. I don't have that internal heart attack when I hear foam and I'm like, was it good foam or was it bad foam?
2: Exactly.
1: I like knowing that. Also on the hunting side of the house, generally if you pick a brighter color vein and you don't get a complete pass through or what I tend to call a Frankenstein where you have vein on right side, broadhead on left side ha- tends to happen a little bit more on elk than it happens on deer because they have a narrower torso yep. um, elk are much broader, more solid ribs. I can normally animals don't continue running in the direction they got hit. They tend to do what we call whirling and they'll spin around. I can now see that vein. I can see where it hit. Yep. I like being able to see that and To me, that's crucial to the follow-through. I can see my flight and I can see my impact. I don't have to guess because guessing isn't something that we've trained ourselves to do.
2: Okay, so that brought up another question. So if you look back here, I have wraps. Same color as your sleeves, the fluorescent bright. So talk about the impacts of wraps. That's all I've used for 10, 12 years because I like to watch that flight. I can find it and if it is in the animal, I can watch it go off. So what are the impacts of putting wraps on arrows, and does that change the characteristics or something we need to worry about?
1: It changes arrows a little bit. So whenever you add weight to the back end, meaning the knock end of an arrow, to you are stiffening the arrow spine. Whenever you add weight to the point end or the front of the arrow, being point, insert, whatnot, you are weakening that arrow. Wraps, like for... Everyone who isn't staring in Mike's garage, which which you are, kind of creepy, but it is a axis arrow, probably a 340 based off of Mike's draw length. He has about a 7-inch fluorescent yellow wrap that is from the end of the knock carbon going forward, and he has three green AAE Max Hunter veins fletched on it, so it's a very bright color combo. Yep. Most of the time, people don't like doing wraps because it's a pain in the butt to fletch. Like you shoot a vein off, you got to rewrap the arrow. Exactly. Um, Do I think a four inch wrap, which is what most wraps are sold in, a four inch length. Mm -hmm. Do I think a four inch wrap is really going to mess with an arrow spine a ton? Not as much as people tend to make it seem like. I don't use wraps because I'm lazy. I fletch too many arrows in my day job. So I don't like doing wraps because it's too much of a process for me. Whatever. That's why I shoot Bright color veins, bright color knocks. Yep. Now, doing a forward offset wrap, which there are some of those I've seen Mike shooting them with those, where it's a wrap in front of the veins. Rock on. There's, I don't care. Something bright. I like using white for me. If I'm gonna do a forward set wrap, I like white because it's almost like the old school bloodsport arrows. Yep. Um, they've got that white tells me what kind of hit I have immediately. I can see. Cake, lung blood, I can see bubbles, or I can see dark, or I can see paunch, or I can see whatever. It tells me what's going on. Yep. Um, White is a little easier for my eyes to read off of it. Like, I wouldn't be able to, for my eyes, I wouldn't be able to read paunch super well on a bright green or bright yellow wrap. But it's very... That's a good tidbit. Yep. It's practical, and make it what works for the individual. Exactly. Have some fun with it. And then, yeah, like, most access arrows, you get them from the factory... Easton makes wonderful arrows. They're not colors from the factory. Tend to be smoke, which is kind of a translucent gray, yep. green, or red. Those are the three colors you tend to get in the Axis arrows or full metal jackets. Yep. Um, I can't see any of those that well. The green sometimes works if there's the right lighting. I like white. Because we tend to shoot dark target faces. Yep. And I can see white really well on that target face. That's my preference. Go to your shop. Use us for what we're employed for.
0: This is that time, like we were saying in the beginning, this is the time to experiment with all those different things. I, we've covered so many different aspects, but this is the time to try new things. If You know, like Grady said, don't get your heart rate up. Don't go run and do a bunch of push-ups and burpees if you're trying all these other new things. You don't want to change in any training aspect, 12 things, and then you're off. Now you're trying to diagnose 12 different things.
1: Most people won't even diagnose. They'll just give up. And that's... Or that. We hear that all the time, is I went out, I was shooting. It just wasn't working out because I was trying to thumb button. I was trying to sight in a new sight, and I was shooting new arrows. Yeah. And...
0: And I increased the poundage.
1: Yeah, and I increased the poundage, and I'm shooting lower lead off. I just gave up and it's August and I got to hunt in like a week. Yeah. Okay. Whoa. Do one thing at a time. Yeah. And we urge it at our shop. I love it when people come in and go, hey, you know, can I try a thumb button? Yes. Okay. How much does it cost? Nothing. We grab them out of the box. We go. We've got this nice little like wooden thingy that looks like you're going to display watches or rings on it. And it's got all the different handheld releases. I'm going to have you sign the waiver. So in case we have an accidental face punch, yep. we're okay. And then we're going to go shoot. And it's not like, okay, you have five minutes of my time and I don't really care. Buy something. It's okay. Let's make sure we get a positive experience because otherwise we've, we've done you a disservice at that point. Exactly. And that's where the fellowship side of it is. is and that's why I think us at Ross have such a special like relationship with our customers
0: is, We can all attest to that.
1: It doesn't have to be a sales setting. Like, yeah, do I love selling bows? Yeah, but I also love working on them when someone comes in and says, I think I need a new bow, and I look and I go, "Uh, actually, I just need to fix this. Give me 20 minutes. Um, There's a great lunch spot down the road. Go grab lunch. It'll be done by the time you get back. That happens all the time. Right. And we want to build that friendship and that fellowship because I love going to Ben Avery, and I did it yesterday when I was practicing 15 to 20 people come up to me, and it's, hey, Greedy, hey, Greedy, hey, Greedy. It shouldn't be, oh, that's the bow tech from Ross. It should be, hey, I saw you got an elk. Mm-hmm. That's exactly. we text each other. We follow each other on Instagram, whatever. We've created that friendship.
0: Absolutely. Or they're sharing their success stories based on what you did to their bow. Oh, or yeah. Or a tidbit that, that you gave them.
1: Oh, I love it. We have a guy, um, he came in, and I won't say his name just for privacy reasons, but he... Came in right before his antelope hunt. He had shot his bow so much during off-season, his string snapped. Oh,
0: man. Man.
1: Two days before his hunt. And I said, you're lucky because I'm David Bennett's apprentice. I carry way too much stuff at all times. I have a spare set of strings and cables. They're here. Give me till tomorrow morning. We got a Phone call from him. Two days later, he shot his antelope buck. That's awesome. Fantastic. That's what we look for. Yep. Our job isn't to sell you something when you're in a time of crisis. Mm. Our job is to help you.
0: Hallelujah. But yep.
1: Helping doesn't have to be in a time of crisis. Helping could be when you're bored on a Saturday. I work Saturdays. Come see me. Like, <laughs> I, Please. Yep. We've got a great crew of guys. Come see us. It could be as little as, hey, you know, it's really hard to get my arrows out of the target. Do they make something for that? Yeah, it's called Woody's Arrow Lube. It's fantastic. Here. Yep. Hey, I wanted to see what color knocks do they have for my arrows? Okay, well, I've got yep. all these things. Equipment is too good. And I say this to my dad, my father-in-law, my wife, everybody. Equipment nowadays is too good to settle. Yep. You don't have to have the newest and the flashiest, but we want to have the most effective within our means. Touche. There is no need for me to go, Yeah, my knocks are just really dark, and I can't find my arrows all the time. It's like, okay, well, let's go spend nine ninety nine on some white knocks. Yep. And we'll be fine. Yep. And it was something so fun for me this last year. Um, when I drew my oak tag, I drew it with my dad. We got to do that elk hunt together. I mean, 15 days together in a 21-foot bumper pull trailer <laughs> creates a special bond. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you can only imagine. Um, and it was a blast, but yep. my dad um, got a new bow for it. Learning a new sight, yep. learning new arrows, learning a new bow, learning a new rest, all these fun things, and I got to watch him go through all this throughout the off-season, yep. and I was like, go dad
0: because proud son moment proud
1: son moment and also i was like you're spoiled because your son's a botek and we can do these things quickly like hey i want to come shoot can i come shoot before you open on saturday yes um all these things were super easy for him but when we were shooting in camp the night before the opener Mm -hmm. that's like the most important time ever Yep. And we're shooting at 40. And I remember we're shooting at the Morrell dice target, the bigger one. So the dots are probably the size of the, yep. that Coke can. And we're shooting them and we do a couple rounds. And I mean, we're at 30 and 40. We're building that confidence yep. of like, this bull's going to come in screaming and we're hitting the dots. And then all of a sudden my dad shoots and he has like one flyer. Everyone's one flyer. He's yeah. got oh, two yeah. others in there and he Guilty. walks up. And he's like, Oh, I'm like, what's wrong? And he's like, I lost focus. Yep. And we walk back up there. The next three shots, he shoots. And I'll never forget this. He looks at me with, like, the perfect blue steel look. Yep. And he's like, we're dialed.
2: That's good. <laughs> that's good. Like, yeah, that's good. Yes. Yeah.
1: But awesome. that was because in the offseason, he practiced. Exactly. He did his job. And, like, am I saying he's out there every day? No. Was he out there probably every other week for a while. And then talking to me in the off days. I mean, my family and I are very close. We talk every day and it was very much like, Hey, this stuff, this stuff. He was doing his off season research. And I mean, he was even at the point where he'd come in the range and he learned, you know, I'm getting a little older. It isn't that comfortable for me to shoot from my knees in a ground blind anymore. I'm going to go to home Depot and buy some El Cheapo knee pads so that I can be comfortable staying on my knees for a really long period of time and not have to do that, like, uncomfortable yeah. squirm. Exactly. And I'm 23 years old, and I was like, dang, I wish I had that excuse. Yep. Because it's true. he had gotten at that point. Yep.
0: yep. Work smarter, not harder. Exactly. exactly.
1: Exactly. Like, people, you get to that point, you learn, hey, when I draw back, the sternum strap on my pack could catch my string. Absolutely. I got to run it a little bit lower. When I draw back and I always wear my hat forward. I never wear my hat backwards. Yep. Just personal thing. When I draw back and I come into anchor, I tend to wear my hat lower than most people. My hat hits my string. Part of my shot process subconsciously is as soon as I get ready to hook my release on, I poke my hat and yep. it goes up. All of those little things, yep. and you become so proficient at your task at hand yep. that it truly becomes a subconscious act. Like That's a that job. muscle memory. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's
0: do it once you perfect it, or once you get it where you are very accurate with all these measures that we've been speaking about, then go practice like that over and over and over again. Be, yep. And then it builds that memory.
1: And I'm not I'm not perfect at this at all. Like, am I an expert at shooting from one knee? No. Not at all. Am I an expert at shooting at uneven terrain? I'd say I'm pretty good from the three D side of the house. Could I be better at doing almost like a stair step <clears throat> level of offset? Mm-hmm. Yes. Sure. Could I be better at drawing slowly? Yeah. Absolutely I can't. Im- I can't tell you the amount of times people come in and they're like, they were staring at me. And I just drew my bow back and I was like, why? Instead, yep. wait a second.
2: Yep. Patience. And it's, I,
1: it, Patience. it's a Patience. game. And I told a guy to do this with his kid. And I wish I've told more people to do it. red light, green light, kids game. forever. Yep. It's a game in the pool. Everyone loves it. Yep. But this is a way you can get the next generation involved. Red light, green light with dad or mom drawing their bow back. Have the kids sit there. Green light, start drawing the bow back real slowly. Red light. Green light, draw yeah, slowly. Red light. That's exactly true. Those things. That's pretty cool. Yep. Or where you can get involved in it. But yep. think about that. When there's a herd of cows or a herd of does walking in, and you're trying to do red light, green light, drawing back, and you lock up at three-quarter draw, and congrats, you got the peak weight of that bow. Oh, yeah. You are at a point where I either need to get it or no yep. but I can't I can't do one or the other right now because I will blow this opportunity that I've waited three hours for and it's freezing cold mm-hmm yep you've got to do those things and that's where you get involved in it have the fun with it yep
0: we have covered uh, a lot um, is there anything else I know we're we're talking about building upon those foundations kind of reiterating everything that we've covered make it fun. Don't make it harder than it needs to be. Remember that you are out there enjoying God's creation, the animals that he created, the nature that he created, and allowing, we live in a great country that allows us to partake in these types of activities and hunting and these sports. Go and use this time um, for the fellowship, for building friendship, the families. And practice these things whether it's in the dead of summer and you can't get away to a 3d shoot try to do it in an air conditioning or if you're listening and you're outside of arizona god bless you for being able to enjoy these activities you're the smart ones (laughs) uh and cooler nicer weather in the middle of june and july but try new things put yourself in you you don't grow unless you Put yourself into different situations. If you are really good at this, try it a different way. If you don't compete, put yourself in a fun competition. You'll experience it in a different way. If you don't like it, so be it, but you'll get better. You'll get better by putting a little pressure on it, by making other people around you watch your form or watch where you hit. Uh, Mike encouraged me last year to be, in the first or my my first ever, instead of just the fun shoots over and over, nah, go do it. And yeah, I didn't get anywhere close to to winning, but it was fun. Yep, and it is. Do fun. it again oh,
2: this yeah. year. And you'll do it again this year.
1: You just you have <laughs> a blast with it. And <laughs> yep, really, I think the most important part of this to me, because it was the hardest part mentally to get over for me. Don't tackle it alone. mm Hmm. Find a training buddy. Go to your local shop and shoot in the range and talk to the guy next to you. Like, don't try to tackle everything alone because I've done that. It has done me a solid disservice in my life. And I'm young. I've still got a lot of stuff to mess up. But I've definitely had times where I was like, I guess too stubborn or too... Front sight focused of I'm gonna do this. And then I'm like, wait a second, I blew past a lot of stuff I could learn from. Right. Don't only focus on the angle. My grandmother told me this all my life before she passed away. Enjoy the little things. Enjoy the little things. It might be when you're sighting your bow in and you shoot one shot and you look and you're like, that looks like it hit the dead center of the X. Don't shoot any more arrows. On the next round, like, go down when everyone grabs their arrows. Take a picture. Yep. Enjoy the things.
0: Have fun. Enjoy those little things. Yep.
1: I've always wanted to shoot a two liter of soda with Mentos in it with a bow. (laughs) I've always wanted to do that and just see the big explosion. Yep. I might do that this offseason. Yep. Have the fun. Shoot a lighted knock at last light in a safe environment on a far shot. And see that.
0: It's awesome.
1: Go, and go to your local shop. We're excited this year to be stretching out to the West Valley. We're opening up a new store off I-10 in Litchfield, um, just south of basically the right now Goodyear. Um, use that as a catalyst of archery just got closer to me. It got more convenient. Don't just kind of shrug it off. You'll right. be like, that's on my drive home. I think it's like two minutes off the exit. Swing in. Dave's going to be running that store. I'm going to be down at the main store downtown. Swing in. Talk to Dave and be like, hey, man, I got a question about Arrows. We're going to have all the other guys working there, too. We're going to be kind of going back and forth. Um, I won't be there as much. I'll definitely be staying downtown more. Um, But use that kind of revival of that new store opening up as become a regular spend that 10 15 minutes every other day yep use that to build your fellowship use that to create friendship and use that to really fuel your off season to where we can become the best archers possible because being a good archer is a lot different than a good hunter
0: and you learn a lot through osmosis you'll learn just by being there if you don't want to ask a question, someone else might. Absolutely. Or if you weren't thinking about something, someone else might. Or just sitting there and absorbing the knowledge.
1: Yeah, it's the most important thing. And I learn <clears throat> through osmosis all the time. I mean, there's guys that come into the shop that are welders, and I hear them joshing back and forth at each other around the counter, and I'm like, way above my pay grade. Yep. <laughs> I can throw a bead but it's not that pretty exactly Exactly. but it's the same thing as if i go to your work and you guys are talking shop and i'm like i don't know what's going on
0: yeah learn from the experts
1: yeah and that's where you never know who you
2: might find yep everybody brings a piece of the pie absolutely absolutely
0: well we're we're leaving on a high note we're leaving on a high note like we've been instilling in you throughout this episode always leave on a high note we're leaving on mike's high note right now mikey will you end us all right lord we just uh we're
2: just so thankful lord that we can uh, just enjoy your creation lord and uh, i just ask right now lord that you just meet all of us lord and help us to find our contentment our happiness our joy allow us to uh, reach out especially in the archery world and hunting world lord that yeah we would just enjoy those moments of the whole process from beginning to end lord and and if there's anybody out there that's struggling. could be target panic or just uh, shooting or frustration, Lord. Just help them, Lord, to find a place where they can go find a friend, go to a bow shop and or get on a social forum and, and build that relationship, Lord, because we know, Lord, that you inspire us, Lord, to, to fellowship as CHA was founded, Lord. But through archery and hunting, it really is about fellowship. And I just ask right now, Lord, that you would meet everybody where they're at, Lord, and just encourage them to take that leap of faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.